My name is Brian Tate. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're a first time guest with us today, we are in a series called Hebrews, the first and the last. And we're taking the book of Hebrews and we're going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And today we'll be in chapter five, verse 11, starting ending five and going through six. And so we got a lot to cover. So it's going to be pretty fast. So uh, get ready. It's about growing up, right? Growing up is not a easy thing to do. So I want to start off with a song because every good message starts with a song, right? So I grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons. It was a great day, right? You get up, you watch cartoons, you get that big bowl of sugar, you get that sugar high and by 1030, your mom's screaming at you to go outside, right? So, but between these cartoons were commercials and they had one about a toy store uh, that was just awesome because it was like Christmas day on Saturday, right? You got to see all the new toys that were coming out. So I'm going to sing the song, it's Toys R Us, and I want you to sing with me if you know it, okay? So, I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid, there's a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with. From bikes to trains to video games, it's the biggest toy store there is. I don't want to grow up, because baby, if I, I couldn't be a toy. Very good, very good. So it shaped our lives as my generation, right? We don't want to grow up. This is just not what we're going to do because we can't be a kid. So I want to stay in my mom's basement until I'm 45 years old and live off their income, right? <laughs> but that's not a good thing to do. We are made to grow up. God created us to grow up physically. He created us to grow up spiritually. He created us to grow up uh, mentally, right? So we need to grow up. And in fact, if we don't, it's a danger to us. So today we're going to take a look and see what it means to spiritually grow up. So as I was thinking about growing up, I thought, why not show you some pictures from my childhood, right? It's a great thing. You see, this is the first picture of me when I was a kid. And y'all can, yes, y'all can say, aw, because it's cute. And then I grew up to this. I don't know what happened. But I don't look the same that I did back then. And we shouldn't look the same spiritually. When we become a follower of Christ, we should grow up and we should not look the same as when we did when we first became a follower of Christ. Physically, we don't. We don't spiritually. Now, the second one is when I was crying. I was upset about something. I don't know what it was, right? And so the thing is, is as a child, you see that and you're like, oh, you know, you're understandable. You're tolerable because children cry. That's what they do. But as an adult... Kind of funny, kind of weird, right? But tolerable. You're like, okay, I, okay. It's not so cute anymore. And so if we look the same as we did when we were a kid, if we act the same, it's not always good. Then you see the next one as a toddler, and I'm wearing some crazy outfit, right? And again, understandable as a toddler because they don't know any better when they dress, but as an adult... Now it's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I was uncomfortable taking that picture. <laughs> Jose was uncomfortable taking it. <laughs> it was just not good situation for me, right? And as a follower of Christ, we shouldn't look the same. We shouldn't act the same. We should be different. Now, the last one. 
Now you're wondering, what is gonna happen? I want you to know I grew up and I did not take that picture. I have matured. And I want you to say there's hope for your children. Because we are supposed to grow up. We're not supposed to look the same. We're not supposed to act the same. And we're not supposed to do the foolish things we did when we first were a follower of Christ. And so we're going to take a look at Hebrews and see how do we grow up. Because there's two dangers to growing up. One of them, that the danger of not growing up results in a danger to us. Like it is not good for us to grow up. Because we, like if I didn't grow up physically, it would be not good for my body. Same thing with spiritually growing up. God is good, right? He does things that are good for us. So the reason why we tell our kids, don't do this, don't do that, don't eat this, do eat that, don't touch that, it's because it's for their good. And so God encourages us to grow up and he tells us what to do so that it's for our good. And if we don't, it's a danger. The second thing is it's a poor reflection on God if we don't grow up. Think about this. There was a a video going around Facebook where this uh, grandfather has a 25-year-old in his his, uh, house, and he comes in the room with a bat and just beats the snot out of his PlayStation. Okay? And he's just like going at it, beats it so hard that the table breaks. And you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? But the reaction of the adult is what got me. He started crying. He started pitching a fit. He started yelling. And it just was like this five-year-old in this 25-year-old body. And then I started thinking, where are the parents in this? Like, why didn't the parents raise him a certain way? Why didn't they instill in him something else? And the thing is, as an outsider looking in, I have no clue what the parents did, right? They could have raised him. They could have moved him on where he was supposed to be, and he chose not to do what they said. And that's how people on the outside are looking at us and get the poor reflection of who God is. And so maturity is for our good, but it's for God's glory. It's all for his glory. And if we don't do it, it is dishonoring God. It's something that he wants us to do to move us forward with a relationship with him. And it needs to happen. And so I want you to think about that as we're going in. Two things. It's a danger to us and it's a poor reflection on God. Now I want you to also think, okay, this message is for me. Because I know you're sitting here thinking, man, my spouse really needs to hear this. Right? Or my friends need to hear this. Or my kids need to hear this. Or my parents need to hear this. I want you to agree with me that this message is for you. It's for me. We all need to look at ourselves and figure out what this message is trying to teach us. Second, I want you to agree that you have not arrived yet. You have not come to the pinnacle of the Christian faith on earth. And you never will until we see our creator face to face. So you and I need to agree on two things. This message is for me, and I'm not there yet. So what is God challenging us to do? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start. Father, I do pray and thank you for your word. I thank you for growing us. I thank you for challenging us. God, I ask that you help us to not just be prideful and and boastful in what we've done or where we have gone, but to look and say, where have I 
failed? Where have I not continued to mature? Father, teach us, mold us, help us to be more like you every day. God, you are good. You know what we need, and I ask that you help us to stop thinking we do and that we can just be more like you based off of what you've done through us and not what we've done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so Hebrews 5.11, we're going to start out there. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain. Whew, that's good because this is a hard passage, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Okay, he starts off with a bang. He says, I've got some things that are hard to explain, but it's going to be difficult because you are spiritually dull and you don't want to listen. And if you and I are honest with ourselves, we have been there. We may not be there now, but we've been there once, or you may be there now. There may, you may be in a lifestyle right now that you're like, man, I remember when God was doing miracles in my life. I remember when God was changing me. I remember when God and I were really close and now I don't even hear him. I don't see him. I can't see him working. And you are at a ceiling. And, you're, and you feel spiritually dull. And if honest, if we're honest, we've all been there and we'll continue to be there. But the writer of Hebrews gives us something that if we would work at it would help us. So great way to start out. Let's keep going. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. So here he says, he says, you're spiritually dull. Some of you should be teaching. You have been believers for so long now. You've been a believer for one year, for two years, for three years, for 15 years, and you should be teaching someone. And yet we've got to be taught, again, the basics of God's Word. And you're like, okay, so how do I know where I am? Am I still uh, a, an infant or have I matured? Uh, what are those basic teachings of God's Word? And we'll get to that. But he's putting the tension here saying, what have you done with your salvation? That's what it's coming to. Have you grabbed a hold of? Are you a believer and are you growing? Or are you a believer and you're still at the same place you were when you started your relationship with God? How are you growing? Are you an infant? Because no one wants to be called a baby. Or are you growing? Are you mature? And he says here, he says, instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic things of God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Did you know that if we lived off of milk for our entire life, our body would not be where it needs to be? Our brain would function as a five-year-old because it didn't get other nutrients it needed from other things, and so it, would be, it wouldn't develop correctly. Food, you could not properly digest your food because, again, your body needs to grow into learning how to eat certain foods and it wouldn't function correctly. Legs wouldn't be able to hold your own weight. Your bones would be strong, but your muscles would not. Your eyes would be underformed. You couldn't properly see, and your heart would not beat properly. It actually could lead to immature de uh, premature death. And you look at that and you're like, wow, we are not supposed to live off of milk, physically. We are to add food to continue on. And so what is milk? Like if you continue on here, is for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Right? As an infant, if you think about 
an infant, it can't feed itself. As a child, I didn't feed myself. My mom got the milk and gave me the bottle, right? You're crying, here you go, right? And I lived off that milk. I can't feed myself. I don't know what to do right from wrong. And then it says solid food is for those who mature, who through training have skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong, right? So when you start eating as an adult, someone puts a plate in front of you, you don't just sit there hoping that the food gets in your belly, right? It's not possible. That's not how it eats. What do we do? We have to pick up the fork. We have to cut it. We got to eat it. We got to chew. We, gotta... we have to be doing something. That's the picture of what he's saying here. Infants can't feed themselves. So God does that. God gives you the spiritual milk, the basic teachings, so that you can grow, you can actively grow in your faith. But it is something that you have to do. James puts it this way, right? Faith without works is dead, right? It says faith without works is dead. If you're not working, your, your faith is, is stagnant. But Paul puts it this way in Philippians. He says, work out your salvation. Your works don't save you, but once you're saved, once you have salvation, you have to grow. You have to mature. And so there's this constant idea of, okay, I've got salvation. Now what am I doing with it? He goes, so let's stop. Here he's going to start talking about the basic teachings. So let's stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead to become mature in our understanding. And then he's going to list about six things here, five or six things that are basic teachings of Christ. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. That is salvation. The basic teaching of Christ is salvation. One, repent from your sins. Repent from thinking you can do whatever it takes to get to God. Because he's writing to the Jews, to these Jewish believers that thought, if I follow this law, I will be approved by God. And that is an incorrect thought. It's saying, repent from sins, from thinking you have works that are good, from your translation might say dead works, and turn to faith in God. It's actually the uh, whole salvation process. So if you look in Romans, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Glory, the, God's standard is perfection. And the one moment that you sin once, you, that, perfe- that standard is compromised. You can no longer be perfect because you are now imperfect. And there's nothing you can do to erase that. And so then it says, for the wage of sin is death. So what we earn because of our sin is death, complete separation from God. That's what good works, that's what evil deeds, or that's what evil works and and dead works gets us, is, is death. Our sin leads us to death. But the free gift of God, okay, it's a gift, you can't earn it and you can't lose it, is eternal life in heaven. Gets to spend the rest of eternity with God through what? Jesus Christ. Through what he did on the cross. And then it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's salvation, basic teaching. So if you understand that, great. That's the first start. It's not the ending. A lot of times we grow up and we think, okay, I realize I'm wrong. I've got God. I've got eternity. I'm good. This is the basic teaching, the infant teaching, the elementary teaching of Christ. 
And then he goes on and says, and you don't need further instruction about baptisms. Baptisms is a symbol of what you believe. Some of your translations may say ritual cleansings. Well, back then the Jews thought that they could cleanse themselves over and over and over to be pure before God. And we, don't, we know that that's not possible. We can't, get, we can't bathe ourselves good enough to be pure. And so we see ritual cleansings today as baptism, as a symbol of being cleansed, of coming before the church and saying, I believe that I've messed up, that I believe in God now, and I want to show this by baptism. And so what does it say? You're an old creation, you're buried with Christ in baptism, and you rise a new creation. You have been cleansed. That's an elementary teaching. The laying on of hands is an example of spiritual gifts. When you become a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside and gives you spiritual gifts. The understanding that if you're a believer and you have spiritual gifts is an elementary teaching. Now, the practice of those gifts, that's growth. And so just to know you have spiritual gifts, elementary teaching, an infant belief. Resurrection of the dead, if you believe that Christ rose from the dead and that one day we will rise and be with Christ in eternity, that's what we hope for, that one day I will see God and that there will be an eternal judgment. That one day we all will stand before God, whether a believer or not, and we will hear one of two things, well done my good and faithful servant, or depart from me for I did not know you. It's the only two things. And if you believe those things, you've graduated from being a baby. That's harsh, isn't it? You're like, wow, thanks, writer of Hebrews, right? And you're like, okay, so what do I do with this? Here's the elementary teachings. Now, what do I do now? Because, again, what are you doing with salvation? That's all it's saying is, have you grasped salvation and are you growing? Or have you grasped salvation and you're still at a level that you've been at for a very long time since you've been believers? And it says, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. This is saying, what are you doing with salvation? Again, it's not saying you can lose your salvation. I want to start there. This is saying, have you been enlightened? What do you do when you go into a room that's dark? You flip on the switch, light, whatever we want to say, right? Either way, we illuminate, we enlighten that room so that we can see. So those that have been enlightened, those that have been shared the gospel, those that have been shown for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this is, that's the gospel. Those that have been enlightened, those that have experienced the good things of heaven, if you've seen that the good things of heaven is one, salvation alone is a very good thing. Right? We can't earn our salvation, so a free gift from God to have eternity with Him, it's a great thing. It's the best thing possible. And shared in the Holy Spirit, you've seen Holy Spirit move, right? You've seen marriages restored. You've seen uh, healings happen. You've seen people give birth to children when they could not, have birth before, uh, could not give birth to children before. You see sins forgiven. You see friendships restored. You've witnessed the Holy Spirit moving among people. You've tasted the goodness of God's word. You've been um, given God's word. You've listened to the message. You know that it's true. And the power of age to come. You know what's to come, eternal judgment. And then you turn away. You've been shown salvation and you've rejected it. 
what are we doing with salvation? There's three possible ways. We're grasping it and growing, we're grasping it and staying still, or we're hearing it and rejecting it. It says it's possible for those that have turned away, for fallen away. And so I want to kind of give you a picture here, because a lot of times you get to this passage and you're like, I don't know. Did I really know what I was doing when I was 10 years old, or have I just fallen away? What if I'm not saved? Do I need to get saved again? Do I need to get baptized All of these questions start popping up, right? There's a difference between fallen and fallen away, okay? I'm going to give you some biblical examples. One, Peter was fallen, right? Peter was the disciple of Christ. He lived with Christ for three years. He comes, and Christ says, hey, what, Peter, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to follow you my whole life. He goes, no, you're not. In fact, you're going to deny me three times. He's told what's going to happen. And what does he do? A 13-year-old girl, 12 or 13-year-old girl comes to him during the trial of Jesus and says, hey, do you know that guy? And he goes, no. And he does it three times. He go, the Bible says he goes away. He's remorseful. He's sorrowful. He, does, he repents. He, and eventually comes back to Christ and Christ says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, I do. And he does it three times. He says, on, on you, I'll build my church. You'll be the rock that my church is on. That is fallen. Having a relationship with Christ, messing up, coming back, repenting, and being restored. Fallen away is Judas. Same thing. Jesus walked with Jesus for three years. Saw him do the same miracles Peter did. Was told that he was going to betray him. Betrays him sorrowful, and never comes back to Jesus. Rejects him, later hangs himself. That's fallen away. Another example, King David. Right? King David was a mighty man. He was appointed by God, did mighty things, had a relationship with God. Later on, is up on his balcony, looking over, sees a lady bathing named Bathsheba, and says, I want that. Brings her to his Uh, bedroom, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, only to say, whoops, that was a mistake. Says, why don't we get her husband, come back from war, he can sleep with her, we can brush everything under the rug. You're like, that's a bad idea. (laughs) He gets them back, her husband's an honorable man, says, no, I've got got brothers that are fighting war, I don't deserve to be here, I want to go back. Doesn't sleep with his wife, goes back, David sends a message with him, hey, When war starts, everybody pull back except this guy, so he'll die. That's what happens. How can that be honorable? It's not. But David is sorrowful. You see him writing in Psalms how sorrowful he is, how repentant he is. He says, God, don't take your spirit from me. He seeks repentance as restored and is still today known as a man after God's own heart. King Saul, the king before him, same thing. He was appointed by God. Uh, was told what to do. He was told to go do something, doesn't do it, is sinful, hardens his heart, never turns back to God. It's all throughout there. The demons, very beginning, believe and shudder, but they don't confess Jesus is Lord. So what happens? They fall from heaven. They fell away. So falling away is not the same as falling. So there's hope. Don't, I don't want you to sit there and go, oh man, I'm, I'm not a follower of Christ because I've, I've messed up over and over and over. No, you're just falling. We need to be restored. We need to seek forgiveness and move on and grow. That's what the writer is saying. And it says, it is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up for public shame. And you're like, wow, that's harsh, but it's true. 
If you don't believe and confess, there is an internal judgment. And you'll either hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me for I didn't know you. You'll see that really come to life. That Jesus was talking and saying, there's people that's going to come up to me. God, I prophesied in your name. I taught in your name. I, I healed in your name. And he says, depart from me. I did not know you. There's rejection that happens. If you've been taught the gospel and you reject it, there is a consequence to that. And God says, your time's now. Have a relationship with me. Grow so that one day we can hold on to the hope that is coming. He says, okay, so how do we know this? When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a crop, a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if the field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. So Ryder says, okay, what are you doing with salvation? Realize the rain is God's message. It's the message of salvation is God's blessing. It's the same rain, right? You don't get a good rain and a bad rain. One doesn't rain acid and the other water, right? It's the same rain. The crop's different. What has the crop done with that, that rain? Has it produced something useful for God? Or has it produced something useless for God? How can you hope in your salvation? By how we're growing. If you're growing and you don't look the same as when you became a follower of Christ, there's hope in that. When you're convicted and you move and, and you seek repentance, there's hope in that. And it's saying what you're producing is a direct reflection of your salvation. And then he comes and says, Dear friends, even though we're talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. <laughs> what? Man, you just rang us all through the ringer, but you just said this, saying it's, it doesn't apply to us? And why is that? We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. There it is. Salvation is just the beginning. If you think salvation is the end, you are missing good things from God. If you are not growing, you are missing good things from God. Sure, we've got a good thing in the future. We get to see our Creator be, spend eternity with Him, but there's a long life ahead of us that you're missing things that God wants to show you if you're not growing. Salvation is the beginning, not the end. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for Him and how you have shown your love to Him by caring for uh, other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Again, he says here, how do we know that it doesn't apply to you? Because you love and work for God, you're useful for God, and you love and care for people. Our actions between each other and how we relate to God is a direct reflection of our salvation. He keeps saying this. He keeps pointing to this. And he says, if this, if this will hold on to this, we can make certain that what we hope for will come true. Our great desire is that you keep on loving others as long as life lasts. We never stop. We never stop until we enter eternity with Christ. We never stop growing. We never stop loving. We never stop working. We don't arrive. We continue until life is over and we get to see our maker. And then we hope, that's, that's how we know 
that our hope will come true. And then he continues to write, then you will not become spiritually dull or indifferent. How do we stop being spiritually dull and hitting that cap? We continue growing. The moment we stop growing is the moment that we become spiritually dull. The moment we stop growing is the moment that we think God has left us. So there's this all this idea that we're always growing. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promise because of their faith and endurance. Okay, so there are some that have already inherited God's promise, and we need to follow those examples. And thank goodness we have those examples, because if we had to do it on our own, I'd stop doing this pretty quickly. But we have all of these examples, and he gives us one. He said, okay, so follow this example. He said, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Abraham was the father of many nations. He was the founder of the, religious, uh, the religion of, of Israel. He was the, father, he was the founder of the uh, nation of Israel. Okay, God comes to Abraham, and it says here, since there, are, there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. He gave him a promise that I will bless you, that I will make you, uh, that I will multiply you, and then he also added, and I will bless nations through you. That's the promise that he'd given Abraham from the beginning. And we see to this day that it has come true. We see that that promise has been fulfilled. And that's why he's saying, look at this promise because God said it and it happened. He came to Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to bless you. And we see that that happened. He said, go to another land. He gave him land, livestock, crops. And he, it was, he became uh, very wealthy during that time. And then not only that, he multiplied multiplied him. He, he was the father of many nations. In fact, Israel today, if they are Jews, they are direct descendants of, of Abraham. And we see that it has become a great nation. And then also all nations were blessed through him because Jesus is a direct descendant of Abraham. And so not only does God have his chosen people, the, the Jews, he has now relationship with everyone else. And thank goodness because we're Gentiles. And we couldn't get it unless Jesus came. And now all nations, all people are blessed through Abraham. And so we see that that promise has been fulfilled. And so what does he say? He said, then Abraham waited patiently. And this wasn't Abraham twiddling his thumbs and saying, okay, God, I'm waiting for you to show up. No, Abraham actually had an active faith. In fact, James uses it when he says faith without works is dead. He gives an example from Abraham. Abraham was told to go, and he went to another land. He was told to sacrifice his son Isaac to God, and what does he do? He doesn't just say, okay, God, you know, you told me I was going to be the father of many nations, but I only have one son, and you want me to sacrifice him to you. What's up there? No, he doesn't even question it. He gets Isaac, gets the wood, he walks up, and as he's walking up, Isaac is saying, God, hey, Dad, where is the, where's the sacrificial lamb? And he goes, don't worry, God will provide. He walks up, puts his son on the altar, and is about to sacrifice him. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. I now see that you hold nothing from me. I now see that you are the most, the most important thing in your life is me. And so here's a lamb, and he provides. He didn't wait around for God. He grew. He moved. He was actively growing in his faith. And he says, 
Hold on to this example. Because if you can hold on to this example, it's, it's fulfilled. The promise is fulfilled. Now when people take an oath, we call on someone greater than ourselves to hold them to it, right? I swear on my mother's grave. My mother's here this weekend, but she's coming to the third service, so I won't use that one. Right? We put our hand on the Bible and say, I promise to tell the truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. There's hope in the fact that God made the promise and backed it up, backed it up on himself. This is unchangeable. What God's promised is eternity for us. There's no greater hope than God's promise. It's what we hold on to. And the reason why we can hold on to that promise is because he's already fulfilled promises that he's made to other people. That's why we have a great cloud of witnesses that's gone before us that we can go back and look at and hold on to and say, God's fulfilled their promise, I can hope in mine. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, for salvation, for repentance, can have great there it is, confidence. How do you approach the throne? Last week with confidence. As we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. How do we not drift? Because of the hope of the promise of God. Week one, are you drifting or are you anchored? This is how we are anchored. We hold on to the promise that God is going to fulfill it. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. We are no longer separated from God. By the curtain, it has been torn when Christ died. The uh, curtain ripped. We have access to God. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You don't need another high priest. Jesus is there. He has done everything. What are you doing with that? What are you doing with Jesus? Are you grasping a hold of salvation and are you growing? Are you grasping a hold of salvation and you're stagnant? You're not moving? Or have you rejected it? That's what this is all about. And so, come down to the bottom line. I couldn't think of anything better that, except for grow up. Grow up. That's what we, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid, Right? Grow up. It's a danger to us if we don't. And it's also a poor reflection of God. And I don't want to be up there going, God, was I useful or was I useless? I want to be useful. And so, with that, I want to give you some quick things that we can hopefully push on and, and see where we can grow up. So, maturity, right? Some of you in today, uh, in this room today, don't have a relationship with God. Some of you are still questioning it, and you're trying to figure out if it's true, and that's great. I'm glad you're here. I want you to simply commit to coming back. Commit to coming. Come the rest of this series. Continue through Hebrews through the rest of the summer. Commit to coming back. Some of you are believers, and you come once or twice a month. I'm going to ask that you take a step and commit weekly over the next few weeks to keep coming back. See how God can grow you through the series of Hebrews. Commit to coming. Some of that, that's your first step. And just like there's infants, toddlers, teenagers, and adults, we're all spiritually somewhere else. And so, make the step. It is not a if or. You don't, you're not starting or ending. It's a growth process. 
So just commit to coming back. Some of you need to commit to reading and praying. Some of you come, you come weekly, you get pumped up, you get, you get something from the message, but you don't really spend a lot of time with God. And you need to simply commit to reading your Bible and commit to praying, talking with God. So I'm going to challenge you. If this is you, commit to reading one chapter a day. Find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read. Get to know Jesus. Because if you can know Jesus, you can understand the rest of the Bible. Old Testament points to him. The New Testament's all about him. Okay? So read about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. Also, commit to praying for five minutes. Five minutes. You don't know what to talk to? Just act like you're talking to a friend. God, I am really mad at, work, at people at work right now. You know, we're pretty easy to start a conversation with a friend. Just talk to him the same way. It's okay. God can take anything. Okay? Commit to five minutes of prayer. Some of you need to commit to others. Man, you've got your personal walk down, you've got your reading, you've got your praying, and some of you just need to commit to actually walking with others, teaching others. And so we provide that through journey groups here. Some of you need to commit. We have a group leak coming up in August to come and be a part of, because why is there four Gospels? Have you ever wondered that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Why do we need four Gospels? Because it's four perspectives of Christ. If you want to grow in your faith, find out what other people think of Christ. So come and study and be a part of others. Study together at home. If you study by yourself and that's it, study with your wife. Study with your kids. Connect with others. Study with people at work. Oh my gosh, that's shocking. You can do that. Study with people. Connect with others. Commit to others. Some of you need to commit to serving. Some of you need to step up and teach. You've been believers long enough, and you actually need to teach. And can I tell you the easiest way to grow and understand God's Word is to teach other people. Because when you do that, you're going to make sure you know what you're teaching. <laughs> right? You get up and you're like, oh my gosh, we're not asking you to be on stage. But come, lead a journey group. You'll study hard and fast for that. Come teach children. You'll study for that. Because children, there's no telling what they're going to ask. Right? Come and be a part of student ministry. Be a small group leader. Teach them, and you will grow. The hardest thing to do is to step into a role of teaching. But I can tell you, if you do it, God will grow you like crazy. And that's, some of y'all need to do that. And others need to just commit to sharing. Some of y'all come, you're connected to others, you serve, you get all of that, but you hardly talk about your faith outside these walls. And God has divinely appointed you with friendships for non-believers, people at work that are non-believers, and you are Christ to them. What are you doing with it? Some of you need to just commit to sharing to that one person that God always lays on your mind. You're like, I don't know what to say, God. Do I say this? Do I say that? They're going to ask questions I don't understand. Just do it, and God will take care of the rest. Commit to sharing and grow in your faith. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. God, it is challenging. Sometimes I don't like to hear it, but I thank you for constantly guiding me. God, just like it is with kids, you, we have to tell them, don't do this, do that, don't do this, do that. You have to do that with us spiritually. And God, I thank you for your word because it's what instructs us, what moves us on. And God, I ask that you help us to spend more time with you. God, grow us. God, I ask forgiveness for where I have hit becomes spiritually dull on the lack of my commitment to growing. 
God, forgive me for that. I ask that you restore me into a right relationship to where I can continue to grow with you. God, I ask that you help me realize that I have never arrived. That just because I am farther spiritually than someone else doesn't mean that I'm good. God, challenge me. Challenge us as we continue to read through Hebrews just to grow us, to help us become more like you than we were yesterday. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.